Welcome to the next Breakfast with Jesus talk. Um, I can't resist the temptation to do a second one on the Grand Inquisitor um, because of the depth of insight um, that there is in this chapter. And um, particularly uh, this talk, I wanted to talk on miracles and his very sardonic um, view of not so much miracles as the human interest in, in miracles. You might remember in the first uh, talk I did on, on the Grand Inquisitor uh, that we focused on the first temptation. I mean, the Grand Inquisitor talks about the, uh, for those who didn't hear that talk, um, the Grand Inquisitor has found Jesus um, all over again in the 16th century. Um, creating trouble by healing people in the marketplace. And the Grand Inquisitor arrests him and berates him. Jesus says nothing the entire time. And the Grand Inquisitor actually just accuses Jesus of messing things up by coming back again. And he ends up killing him all over again. Um, now, in the, in the last talk, I focused on the um, the way the Grand Inquisitor expands the first temptation, which was, if you remember, you know, turn turn these rocks into bread, and he sees that temptation as a um, appeal to the uh, greed of humanity. That leaders have to appeal to the greed of humanity. Um, give them bread. That's what they really want. They don't. They don't want what you want from them. You being Jesus. You being God, which is a relationship and love. They don't want that. They they just want something from you. Um, so what's I mean the the intriguing but dark insight Dostoevsky has packaged up here in this discourse is that the Grand Inquisitor is exploiting human weakness in order to control human beings and, and, and to lower them from their high calling. So the, the tactic of the Grand Inquisitor, who, as I said in my last talk, really becomes Satan fairly quick you know, by, by implication is to appeal to humanity's base instincts, animalistic instincts. And once I get, once, once, once you make that appeal, a leader um, or the powers of darkness <laughs> now can manipulate us and can manipulate us and, and feed us at the level of our baseness and keep us there, <laughs> keep us there. Uh, and we will live at that first, we'll live at that base level forever. Now, um, the Grand Inquisitor goes on and talks about the second temptation, which was when Satan says to Jesus, well, throw yourself down from the, 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 the temple and then God will bear you up. And in the, in, the, in the hands of the Grand Inquisitor, this becomes a gen generic... Um, or exposes the generic human interest in miracle. And, and what he, as I go on to talk about now, he, what, he, what he's really doing is debasing 
uh, not just humanity now, but, but all of creation. Now, strange as it may seem, this, this would be a very powerful segue into uh, the book of Ezekiel when we return to it, because the arguably the great theme of the book of Ezekiel, and I'll make much more of that in the next talk, is glory, the glory filling the whole earth. It's almost the exact opposite of the vision of the earth that the Grand Inquisitor has. Um, Ezekiel's vision, I mean, glory is a religious word, so that's, I always try to find more generally accessible words, and uh, so perhaps transcendence, a ubiquitous transcendence, um, could be a, a more accessible way of describing that word, glory. Um, the corona of the good and the beautiful that can surround the mundane and the everyday. So um, let's just quickly look at what the Grand Inquisitor says about the second temptation. This is what he says. Again, remember, this is the Grand Inquisitor talking to Jesus and really trying to explain to Jesus how Satan understood things in a way that Jesus didn't. So in that way, the Grand Inquisitor becomes really the voice of Satan. And he says this, When the dread and wise spirit set you on a pinnacle of the temple and said to you, If you would know whether or not you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. But you rejected the offer. You didn't yield. You didn't throw yourself down. And of course, in this you acted magnificently, like God. But mankind, uh, that weak and rebellious tribe, um, are they gods? Could you possibly have assumed even for a moment that mankind would be strong enough for such a temptation? Is that how human nature was created, to reject the miracle? And in those terrible moments of life, the moments of the most terrible, essential and tormenting questions, to remain only with the free decision of the heart. You did not know that as soon as a man, human being, rejects miracles, he'll at once reject God as well. For mankind seeks not so much God as miracles. And since mankind cannot bear to be left without miracles, he will go and create new miracles for himself, his own miracles this time. And, and they'll bow down to those miracles, the miracles of quacks or magic. When they told you to come down from the cross, you did not come down from the cross because, again, you did not want to enslave man by a miracle. And that would have had him thirsting for faith. Uh, uh, because you, you God slash Jesus, thirsted for faith that is free and not miraculous. You thirsted for love that is free and not for the servile raptures of a slave before a power that has left him permanently terrified. Here too, you overestimated mankind. It's a pretty dense, magnificent passage. Um, but here's the heart of it. Um, he's really saying miracles is a way of controlling human beings, a way of enslaving humanity and keeping humanity from freedom and faith. So 
what what's he driving at here? I think it is really um, a profound expose of the religious instinct. Now, when I say the religious instinct, atheists have got a religious instinct as well. We all have it, whether we um, end up saying it's of God or whether we end up saying, no, no, it's a, it's a false illusion, there's no God. It doesn't matter, the instinct is there. And here's how the Grand, or my uh, diagnosis of what the Grand Inquisitor sees. He sees miracles and, and the desire for miracles as evidence of the divine. And tucking behind this, um, this desire, there is a worldview. The worldview is a dualistic worldview that separates the supernatural from the natural into two domains. And that dualistic domain um, could uh, believe in both, but has them as separate uh, regimes. Now, what this does is that fairly quickly, once you pull them apart, um, you accept the natural or the normal as the ultimate reality. And ultimate reality is now turned into the mundane. So mystery, as far as there is mystery, it gets reserved for the abnormal. It gets reserved for the supernatural. And reality, particularly and this has happened in the modern world, is in an unreconstructed everydayness of life. So this kind of dualism, um, fed by the love of miracle, destroys actually both sides of the fence. It, the divine and transcendent becomes irrelevant, in, in the end imaginary. And what we say is the day-to-day, -day, the normal, the, the mundane, the ordinariness, that's the new reality. That's the defining reality. Reality becomes functional, materialistic. And the end result of that, which I think we're living in very much in our day, is life is evacuated of transcendence. It's evacuated of meaning. And what takes over is a brutish materialism and functionality. Um, now, that's, the Grand Inquisitor doesn't, doesn't say all that, but I think he sees it exactly in this great temptation that if um, he can get humanity to keep desiring miracles, and not, therefore, having the opposite of miracles, which is faith, faith in the, in the wonder of the ordinary things of life, but in a sense denying their wonder and instead wanting something else, yearning after a, quote, miracle. If he can do that, he's enslaved mankind. We're now actually, again, at the level of the brutish, at the level of the really quite nihilistic, mechanical view of reality. Um, pretty sobering to think of that. And in this kind of unrenovated view of reality or ontology, the supernatural just becomes an injection. It's an, it's an injection from outer space. You know, a miracle's an injection from outer space. 
Um, what's wrong with that, you might ask? And by the way, I'm not saying you know that we never can pray for and expect things from God that are absolutely surprising and absolutely seem to break the laws of nature as we see them. I'm not against any of that. What I'm against is the dualism that says this is an alien injection from another landscape. And what's wrong with that is that in the Grand Inquisitor's terms, an injection's not a relationship because it comes from an alien word, actually world. It, it, it subverts relationship. And I think with brilliant insight into the psychology of power dynamics, he says what this actually um, secures is a kind of slavery because we're enslaved by the miracle. We think, this, in his words, the servile raptures of a slave. That becomes the posture of humanity before a power that's left him permanently terrified. It's paganism. It's paganism um, all over again. So um, Dostoevsky's handling of the second temptation is really, really um, illuminating, I think, about the world in which we live the way the, the way that the world in which we live has been and the world views has been influenced by the same um, satanic conversations <laughs> that um, Jesus encountered in the temptation of the wilderness and he defeated them he defeated them by denying a miracle I'm not going to take myself off the temple it's enough that I'm on the temple it's enough that I'm here the glory is here and the glory will come to the cross. And again, Dostoevsky saw that brilliantly. It'll come to the cross. And if I, if, you know, if Jesus came down from the cross, if he miraculously did something, guess what? The final wonder of glory, i.e. the resurrection, would never have happened. It, it would have, uh, the, the, any, any miracle that Jesus had called upon um, in the interim, would have denied the final glory. So, um, yeah, it's really, really uh, a lot to think about um, and uh, a lot to think about how the principalities and powers, uh, as it were, manage the world by evacuating glory from it and, and by playing to a very low um, materialistic base view of what it means to be a human being and if they can get that worldview established it's a false rule it's a false rule because and the heart of it all is to suck the glory out of the mundane suck the glory out of reality. Now, when we turn to Ezekiel again, um, which my next talk will be on, I'm going to go back to actually Ezekiel chapter one. He does the very opposite. And in his visions, one way of looking at his visions is that he, the veil's taken away and he sees the glory uh, ubiquitous in all of creation. So that'll be the next talk. 
Um, I know it's, it's, it, uh, this is a little bit dense stuff with the Grand Inquisitor, but I think it's really um, fascinating. I feel I'm just scraping the surface of it. Um, and and uh, perhaps down the track we could do another talk. But, but it's really fascinating because in big picture terms, the Grand Inquisitor is the most um, profound diagnosis of the temptation in the wilderness that personally I've read, just takes it to another planet. And then if you say, well, the temp temptation of the world in the wilderness was the great arm wrestle for the rule of the earth between God and Christ, the second Adam, it contrasts with the first temptation in Genesis chapter three. Um, and it, as a, a, if you start to position um, the second temptation that way, it makes that temptation in the wilderness far more profound um, theologically uh, than um, otherwise we might consider it. Hence, hence my intrigue with it all. Of course, this uh, particular theme, which you know, is that dualism is is wrong. Dualism is an error that the re view of reality we've got to get is some more integrative view between the natural and the supernatural. I'm calling that the meta-natural, just my phrase. Um, that connected view starts to see glory in creation and starts to see, it starts to normalize um, wonder um, in the created world. Um, my dear son Tim once told me he thought sin was just the, us, us not seeing wonder in the ordinary things of life. There's a, there's a darkness in that, and I, I really think that's profoundly true. But this view of restoring a more integrated view is very much one of the themes of the patristics, most notably Maximus the Confessor, um, and it will be a theme. It's a, it's a theme that's very close to David Bentley Hart, and uh, in, in the conference we're going to be having in Australia in August, um, that will definitely be something which um, he talks about. Uh, one of those talks will be with two Indigenous pastors, um, and David's attraction um, to the Indigenous worldview is that in their mysticism and their sense of dream in the created order, they're closer to the truth than we are with our um, post-enlightenment uh, dualism that's accepted reality as mechanical without wonder. Okay, well, um, I commend these thoughts to you and uh, next, next one I'll, um, I'll um, hop back into the text of Ezekiel and uh, some of the thoughts fed by the conversations that Anne and I have had over it.